coming to get you, Barbara. Here's some money. Go see a Star Wars. But I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd. Welcome back to Long Walk Talks. My name is David Hensley. I'm the owner and creative director of Long Walk Productions, and I am joined today by my two co-hosts, Stan Wilson-Lee. Hello. And Chris Wilson-Barnes. Hi, I'm from the EPA. Does this house have hair conditioning? Hair Did you? Conditioning? Yeah, hair conditioning. <laughs> I can yeah. get you some suave. Uh, <laughs> well, if you didn't get that extremely absurd, absurd, obscure <laughs> reference, uh, it's because today we are continuing our Kevin Smith oh, discussion uh, with the film Dogma. Dogma. It's Kevin Smith's fourth film released in 1999, and it is the story of two fallen angels who are trying to get back into heaven by exploiting a loophole in Catholic dogma. The problem with doing so is that doing so would prove that God is fallible, and since God is supposed to be infallible, that would mean the end of life as we know it. What's fallible? Fallible. Yeah. Fallible is when you can fall from something. It's not fun when it happens to you, is it? Yeah. Well, that's just going to be the whole episode. Strap in, What's the difference between flammable and inflammable? There is none. (laughs) Yeah. This is the kind of riveting discussion our listeners tune in for. Well, now, well, since since he tackled and conquered the world of sexuality, uh, Smith dove headfirst into religion and made it every bit as weird. You think so? <laughs> yeah, guys, this movie is fucking weird. It's weird, not in a bad way. You, Stan, you cannot tell me with a straight face that this is not a fucking weird movie. Jay and Silent Bob are prophets and have to ensure that the last Scion completes her mission. And but along it's the no way, more weird than the rest of the Bible. If you read the Bible okay. from right. front to back, <laughs> we're, we're not doing a complete filmography of the Bible. Though. <laughs> no, through that. <laughs> Even in the filmography of Kevin Smith, this movie's fucking weird. They fight a shit monster, Stan. They do fight a shit monster. Voiced by Ethan Suplee. <laughs> yeah. Is it? Is yeah, it, it is. Oh, I didn't know. I found that out afterwards. I, I looked it up. They brought Ethan Suplee back for the shit monster. That's awesome. Hans Gruber is the Metatron. I do love the Metatron. Yeah. Well, uh, that's Alan Rickman. Yes. One of his more heroic roles. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I love him as the Metatron. Yeah, and I just love Alan Rickman in general. How can you not? And I love George Carlin as the flaky priest that's he's, he's Cardinal the whole Glick. Thing. Cardinal Gleek. Uh, Gleek. <laughs> it is going to happen all episode. Yeah. Chris and I were talking about this on the way here to the studio. Uh, I forgot how many people were in this movie. Like, oh, yeah. Obviously, I remembered Ben Affleck and Matt Damon as Bartleby and Loki, the two fallen angels. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I remember Jay and Silent Bob and Selma Hayek. As actors, now again, like I said before with the other movies that we've discussed, I haven't seen this in 20 years, maybe 18 or Mm -hmm. so. So watching it again last night, I was like, oh, fuck, I forgot Alan Rickman's in this. (laughs) Oh, fuck, Chris Rock is in this. I forgot that Alan Rickman in it, and and I forgot that uh, Selma Hayek was in it. And it's it's literally my favorite Selma Hayek role. And, uh, um, I mean, debatable, but I'm not, I'm not super familiar with him, but apparently Bud Court is the, is the vessel that yes. God is in yes. at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. I saw that. Uh, who is Bud Court? 
Uh, he might be most famous. At, uh, he was in Harold and Maude. Yep. Okay. Um, and I can't remember the rest of the stuff right now, but yeah, he was in Harold and Maude. Oh, I have not seen that. So I feel like a very big contributing factor to what makes this movie so fucking weird is the inclusion of Jay and Silent Bob in this religious epic that Kevin Smith has crafted. So that's going to be our first topic of discussion. Do you guys think this movie would have been better or worse without the inclusion of Jay and Silent Bob? Stan? I guess I'm just going to um, add to the weirdness because I don't I don't think there is a story without Jay and Silent Bob. Wow, that's high praise. Um, because... Remember, there's a disclaimer at the beginning of this movie about how fucking weird it's going to be, how fucking weird it's going to be and that <laughs> it's going to be get letters it's going to get, you know, talked about and neg- you know, and, and he's just warning people. It's like before you start pulling out your guns and shit and coming after me to shoot me, it's like this is fiction and this is just my idea and how to respond to some of the fucked up shit I've seen, you know, and it's like, and Jane, Silent Bob being picked as the prophet, especially having watched the rest of the view skew universe there, they are kind of the meters of a lot of the stuff. And so the idea that they would be the prophet it, it was kind of prophesied back in clerks. Prophesied. Yeah. <laughs> how prophesied. did you, how did you get that prophecy out of clerks well just the idea of w- what they were building up to and to represent especially well, in the Dave, sense did of you not listen Bob. to the lyrics of berserker <sighs> yeah would you berserker. like some making fuck <laughs> would you like to talk about our lord and savior and, and the and the idea that out of anybody that could bring a new true message of faith and religion what better way to make it to the masses by using these two fellas that are, you know, considered imbeciles, but in the long run, they are his, Kevin Smith's conscience, you know, and um, representative of what what can be good in this world. Yeah, and and they, and Alan Rickman talks about it, uh, Metatron talks about it when he meets uh, the person that's going to be saving the world. The last scion, and he talks. It's like there's gonna be two fellas that you have to meet, and one doesn't stop talking. No, right. what he, he says never... is, and it's one of my favorite lines because often I think of it when you and I are in a room together. When he begins to talk, and he, he will at length, whether you want him to or not. It's interesting that you bring up the disclaimer at the beginning because that disclaimer did not stop people from protesting. No, it didn't. Um, Kevin Smith showed up to the protest for his own film, yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, sign in hand, only yep. to discover a handful of people showed up to it, <laughs> and the only one who recognized him was a reporter on the scene. <laughs> well, the, uh, he he does talk about this in a night in an evening with Kevin Smith, where he's like uh, he showed up and he was uh, apparently they were kind of silently protesting, and he was he was I guess too energetic for them because they were starting to get they were starting to give him the, the side eye. I was like. What are you doing? He was standing outside, being like, "Yeah, fuck this movie." Yeah, kind of like that. And he was, oh, that's fantastic. He was he was going way too hard, and they were like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> "Wow." Well, Chris, what do you think? Better or worse without um, Jay and Silent Bob? Honestly, I 
I, I sort of heard how he, he just basically was writing the movie and they just kept working their way in. And it makes sense because the way this story progresses, it makes total sense for them to be there. I don't I, I don't think it's wor- I don't think it's either better or worse with them in it um, or not. But honestly, if he hadn't put Jane on the Bob in there, he would have put a character or characters who would have been so much like them. Mm-hmm. That people would be like, well, why, why weren't Jay and Silent Bob in that part? Right. And and on top of that, it's like, well, you've all he's he's they're established characters. Yeah. And they fit this role perfectly, so you don't have to take a lot of time to explain their origins either. Right. I think to me, having put a month between these movies mm-hmm. and not uh, a combination of six years like audiences had, going from the extremely crass drug dealers in clerks to the goofy sidekicks in um mall rats to the one scene wonders in chasing amy to being directly involved in saving the world yeah. in dogma was such a huge leap that for me i could not get past it the whole movie like i feel and this is just one person's opinion we already have so many great characters in the movie, like Metatron, like Chris Rock as Rufus, Selma Hayek as Serendipity. I feel like you keep Jay and Silent Bob in the movie, but you keep them in Jersey. So they're there at the beginning when Cardinal Glick is talking about Buddy Christ. They're there at the end when the heroes get to Jersey and get to the church. But you just you replace the two prophets with two more characters as interesting and as likable as Rufus and Serendipity and Metatron. I feel like it wouldn't have been too big of a stretch to put two other vaguely biblical characters in their place while still having them in the movie. Does that make sense? Maybe, but them being there and being from Jersey is also the impetus for uh, Bethany to be like, Eh, fuck it, I guess I'll go. Right, and, and I, yeah. And make the leap because, because I mean, honestly, they're the only thing that convinces, convinces her to go. Uh, and then she has the, the turnaround moment where they they where Jay fucks up her car. And she's like, okay, never mind, then I'm leaving. And then that's when Rufus falls out of the sky. I mean, you would have, I mean, I. I mean, guess I mean, running time wise, I mean, Rufus could have fallen out of the sky sooner. But, <laughs> right. And Jay is kind of her you know impetus to whether to hold or lose her faith completely you know it's like uh jay's presence helps her in her journey to regain what she has lost as a catholic or as as a believer you know and um and and i'm not sure because the whole thing with rufus is that you know if we had two other prof or apostles it would kind of wouldn't would it not mitigate the the idea of rufus being the lone black um not necessarily apostle and that was forgotten they don't even have to be apostles like we have such a wide range of side characters you know you got the metatron who is a seraph and the voice of god you've got rufus the 13th apostle and serendipity a good muse 
Azrael, a bad muse. There are other biblical archetypes that he could have pulled from to fill in those two characters. In my opinion, that's what I was thinking watching it, because to me, I think it would have been extra funny. And I know I'm armchair writing this movie now, but like I said, keep them in the beginning, keep them in the end. It's still a view universe film because it has Jay and Silent Bob in it. How fucking funny would it have been if when they show up in the aftermath of Bartleby's massacre, if he has killed Jay and Silent Bob and then only for God to bring them back in the end. I thought I think that would be fucking hilarious if they suddenly reappear outside of the quick stop. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's an idea. Plus, I don't know if calling them prophets was the right thing to do because they don't really prophesy shit. No, they just. They really I mean, don't. He, he gives he gives Bethany a light. Uh, Jay gives Bethany a light bulb moment. Yeah, but right. <clears throat> we were also Chris and I were talking about uh, the plot hole you discovered. But- oh yeah, I was like I, when I was watching it earlier today, I realized. Um, well, at the at the end fight with Azrael and what the, the 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 Stygian triplets. That's what they're called. Yeah, I uh, I don't get it, but. I mean, I get it, but at the same time, I don't know why they're called that. It's something vaguely biblical. It is. Like everything else in the movie. Yeah. But um, when they're going to get rid of the Stygian triplets, uh, the three, the three like, teenage hockey kids uh, who have been possessed, I guess. But um, there's never really a big origin on what, what happened to them, if they were brought in from hell or what. But... <clears throat> When they go to when they when they have Bethany bless the sink to to get rid of them to drown well to drown them in holy water, um, serendipity says it's because you know of her divine heritage. But I mean, she's descended from one of you know Jesus's siblings, as they say in the movie. So she's like one of one, one of like the half brothers or sisters that that Mary and Joseph had. They share they share genealogy through the, they share a mother, not a father. The father of Jesus is God. She does she's not directly related to God. <laughs> yeah, I had never once thought of that until you pointed it out. It's like saying someone two people are half siblings. You don't inherit something from the other dad that you don't have. <laughs> right. Um, that's one, and then just now. It, uh, that doesn't bother me really, though, because there's ways around that. Right, there is, and just ultimately from, just, talking about you're still coming from the mother, right? Well, yeah, you're, that and just being designated the last scion—that's just something special that you are. Right, right, right. But Mary was not herself holy. No, Mary was a human woman impregnated right, right, by right. God, just like Joseph was a human man. Right. So. Yeah, Chris. Well, Chris already made the point, but we're we're picking at straws here. But still have you know the the essence of God going through her as she's producing other children. I don't know. Let's ask Jesus's brother or sisters. <laughs> right. Um, but I thought of one when you were talking about Jay wrecking her car because he doesn't know how stick shifts work. Yeah. Jay should not have actually been able that the car shouldn't have even moved. Right. If it's a stick shift, he would have had to use the clutch to take off and get on the interstate. Right. And he was dry, He was up to ninety in a bad gear. Yeah, in first gear, stripping it. You you just you can't get up to ninety miles an hour in first gear. And also, he implied not only should he not have been driving the car, he did that was like apparently his first time driving a car. He implied that as, as such. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why we're discussing plot holes in dogma of all things. That's not a plot. But, it's like it's Kevin Smith. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I would argue that um, set up a joke. 
that uh, a combination of Jay's stupidity and confidence combined somehow allowed him to luck and like basically uh, roll a nat twenty when he shouldn't have. Yeah. And get it into and right, get it going. Right. Right. All right, so our next topic is summed up with four words, and I'm not saying this is an original thought on my part. I'm sure I read this somewhere, maybe even in relation to dogma, but it's high concept, low brow. Oh, sure. That's this movie in a nutshell, more so than any of the movies uh, of Smith's movies before it or any of the that came after. This is by and far his most high concept film, Mm -hmm. but still with those low brow sensibilities. Stan, thoughts on that? Again, it's like, I, I don't know if, I, I don't think I was watching it in that sense. Uh, yes, uh, yes, I totally recognize. Shit demon. I totally recognize all the Kevin Smith stuff. And I recognize that, yes, this is a step up in his, you know, okay, what idea am I going to skewer today? You know, and that he, he reached for. View really, a skewer? view a skewer today um that he's reaching for you know this being like you said last one was sexuality this one is really high and not even religion but faith mm-hmm. you know um because they pretty much destroy the idea that this is about religion like right off the bat by saying it religion doesn't matter it's it's your belief in your faith and that's this, you know, and, and that it's people that created religion, and that's what we're, that's what we need to go past. Right. So, I think so it's, for him to go past that, that is very high concept. But well, faith, yes. I feel like religion as a concept, it is very much about that. Oh yeah, the, and, not one specific religion, even though Catholicism does is the is, key because it, he yeah. is Catholic. So. Well, so yeah, I mean, by all accounts, the the movie was him grappling with his own faith. Exactly, so, right. yeah. exactly. Um, and so I'm not, I'm, but once I get, but I just love the movie so much that I. There's I, nothing I, wrong with that. No, no, no. And, and I crack, and I, and, and it cracks me up because there's plenty of great movies that are high concept, low brow. And 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 I guess I'm very, I appreciate his low brow. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's weird to say, but. Kevin Smith's lowbrow stuff always keeps his films in a state of humanity for me. Yeah. You know, it keeps them grounded. It keeps them grounded. Well, there's plenty and, of strong emotional and, moments. And, in that and movie. that's why I'm thinking uh, that, you know, Jay and Silent Bob are the perfect choice for the prophets. And I'm doing the air quote stuff. But uh, but the idea that it's just another one of his Kevinisms, Kevin Smithisms that keeps the movie in a very relatable, you know, urban center, you know, actually probably, and, I, and I'll say this, you know, white urban pe- males, you know, they, they relate and they, they're still connected and the humor, the humor is consistent throughout his films. And, and one of the reasons for Jay and Silent Bob. And so the idea that his lowbrow keeps it in a state of groundedness for me, I think that always, I'm always going to be. I'm always going to feel a consistency with Kevin Smith in that sense, and 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 maybe that just makes me more that that ties into my love of schlock. I don't uh-huh. know. So um, so I don't know if I can be any con- contribution. This would be like me if I was here for chasing Amy because every that would be the whole thing because you know how much I love that movie and and 
part of it is because of its groundedness and the consistency of his humor. So I don't know. <laughs> All right. Fair. Chris, how do you think? That was a long lead up to, I don't know, but okay. What are your thoughts on the overall, um, uh, oeuvre of this movie as high concept? Oh, you're going to throw the word oeuvre into this conversation. Yes, I am. Oh, Jesus. High concept. Um, that's fine. I mean, I, it, you want a high concept, low brow? Look at uh, Monty Python's Life of Brian. Mm-hmm. Same same kind of track. Yeah. It's it's something that you. It, it always depends on the concept, how well people think it's handled. Mm-hmm. And by this time, and you know anyone who who is watching movie his movies in order should know. Whenever Smith is going to tackle a specific subject, he's going to throw his kind of humor into it. Right. Which is like, you know what you're going into because it's a Kevin Smith movie. So what's his movie about religion going to be about? What's his story about uh, involving religion going to be like? Right. And and it's like, that doesn't bother me. uh, Because he's telling telling a good story, but of course he's going to have his his own little wild uh, wild bits he's going to throw in there. Yeah. To me, it was less jarring than um, the wild tonal shifts in Chasing Amy, sure. specifically, yeah. um, and then Black Beauty decided to do some mounting of his own. Plus, plus, <laughs> plus, um, when you're talking about uh, when you're exploring a concept such as any religion being factual uh, in a movie, to, and saying that it is. And then the divine starts happening in the movie. You have a lot of leeway to make stuff and let stuff like that happen. Yeah. It's still, it's just going to always be interesting and a little bit jarring to me. Seems like we've, we've already talked about the shit monster, the Golgothan so much, such a heavy scene. Something I'd never seen until watching it today. uh, Cause I had always caught bits or most of it from like the, when comedy central would air Mm -hmm. it or, when other networks there and they cut that they cut the Golgotha out completely in, in network TV airings. Yeah. There are so many heavy conversations that happen throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Bethany's monologue about losing faith in God because yeah. um, she couldn't conceive um, and her husband left her for it and all of this. And then her conversation with serendipity about God being a woman all this heavy, heavy stuff, and then shit overflows out of a toilet <laughs> and forms into a vaguely bipedal shape. But at least but, he had a know, transition. But I get that though. <laughs> I get that though because honestly, I, I understand where that comes from. It's like, what would it feel like? I mean, from from biblical times to today, what would it feel like if you were literally charged with a holy quest by God? Mm-hmm. Like if you could, you could look at uh, you know, a lot of different stories in, in the in the Bible and the Old Testament this way too, mm-hmm. like the fantastical stuff that happens. Maybe it's not a shit demon, but you know, talking to like Moses talking to God through a burning bush that a bush that is literally on fire but not burning, like there's fire emanating from this. But you can see that, and you're standing there staring at this, and also it's having a conversation with you. A heavy conversation about how you're going to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. <laughs> so maybe it's not so much the burning bush yeah. as it is the flaming bush. 
Hmm. I'm gonna throw this microphone at you. I'm just saying, if you're <laughs> if it's burning but it's not actually burning, then it's not a burning bush. Take it up. I did not stand. Shut up. <laughs> no, he's right to laugh at you. <laughs> what did I say? I said nothing. You knew what you were saying. When I you said did it. not. It wasn't until I looked over and saw Stan giggling what that did I, I realized what I'd said. <laughs> But what I, did you say? I get it. So I, I say the word bush and you start giggling. <laughs> sure. But what, when it's like, and then that's a I didn't even start. Brow. I didn't even start the bush discussion. Low brow. Right? Chris is the one who brought up bushes. I'm kind of surprised now that's that I think I like that Kevin Smith didn't just say go that? off go off about the bush at all during the movie. Right. But I, I, it's like it's taking something like that and then it's like, well. What other ridiculous things could possibly happen if, like, say, I don't know, someone from the hell is trying to stop you? <laughs> right. It's like, what could they summon? Something terrible like that, I suppose. Yeah, and and I know it's not in your uh, list of topics, but Jason Lee. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, right. That's right. Yeah, it is Jason yeah. Lee. It's tied into he, this topic. He he comes into his own. This is where he comes into his own as a performer, as an actor, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and he totally gets into the Azriel and, and the, the idea that, and that's why I said something about, at least there is a transition because there's a lot of Kevin Smith jokes, visual jokes that don't get set up by a transition, but there was two transitions because Jason Lee tells the triplets that we're going to have to call in the the Golgothan. the Golgothan, and then then we have the visual transition of somebody going to the bathroom and it overflows because that's the only way the shit de- or the demon can get no no you were right get to the world <laughs> and so he has to become the shit demon and and that also allows um, Azrael to come back into the and, and actually meet all the group and and then you get the great moment when uh, when uh, Silent Bob gets to take the blessed the blessed golf club and yeah. open up Azriel and I, and I think that that is a terrific sequence even though we talked about this earlier that the CGI and stuff is way subpar even yeah. though it's ILM but but that sequence It was still 1999. Yeah. Well, I, will, I will say I was like the the Azriel death scene is is great because he's done in by the mortal sin of pride. Exactly. Um I will say I think um I'm a- I, the CG stuff was nah, but uh, I think one of the best effects was when the uh, triplets uh, teleport. Oh, oh yeah, the hockey yeah. stick. It's just it look. It's such a simple effect with how they did it, but they rip the tearing in reality and jumping in is such yeah. a nice little touch. Well, tied into this high brow, low concept. Um, I'm sorry, high concept, low brow yeah. idea. This is such a weird mixture of a list Hollywood with b-list viewers universe because on the one hand you have got oscar winners and nominees um this is just shortly after goodwill hunting yeah you've well, got ben affleck that's and funny because ben affleck and matt damon make the cross from one to the other yeah. <laughs> between films yeah um you got matt damon and ben affleck You've got Alan fucking Rickman. You've got Linda Fiorentino, who at the time, at least, was known as a very serious actress. George Carlin, uh, Salma Hayek, Chris Rock. You've got all these A-list celebrities followed up with Jason Mewes, (laughs) Kevin Smith, uh, and uh, Jason Lee with appearances by Brian O'Halloran and Jeff Anderson. That's a... 
it makes the whole and special guest star Alanis Morissette. Special guest star Alanis Morissette and cameoing as as a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge to chasing Amy. The um, the person at the uh, desk at the train station, Mm -hmm. the uh, woman that tells. Keep going, keep going, because I, I was like... Don't bury what, the lead. What does um, she do? Why, why is she in this movie? I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, the uh, the woman who tells that Bartleby and Loki that they're too late for the train, that's Guinevere Turner, the inspiration for Chasing Amy. For Chasing Amy, yeah, okay. She uh, is the woman that Scott Mosier fell in love with. Yep, and, really? she, and she was playing in a... Don't underestimate bar- the good drawing power of the Garden State. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, that's uh, what... What makes the film extra jarring to me is is seeing Ben Affleck and Matt Damon sharing a scene with Jason Mewes and Kevin Smith <laughs> at this time in history. Like right. in 1999, right. that was extra weird. Nowadays, knowing what comes after this and knowing the history of right. all those actors, uh, it, it makes sense. But at the time, and Kevin Smith has to put on time. his acting boots at the end of the movie where he's carrying uh, Bethany and crying. Yeah. Well, he does have one of the... Uh, I think he has one line in this movie, Silent Bob, um, and I think it's one of the funniest. He's got, he's got the second one, yes. Uh, but the first one, I think, is one of the funniest lines of the movie when he, after he kicks uh, Loki Loki off the train, he goes, no ticket. No ticket. Yeah. <laughs> you know what that's a reference to, right? Tell me. Indiana Jones. Okay. Yeah, okay. that's right. He t- when he tosses the Nazi out of the bus. Uh-huh. No ticket. And everyone else, and, and um, when he says that, all the patrons scramble with grief. Yeah, to other tickets. The no ticket moment is probably Kevin Smith's greatest acting moment. I, I of thought his it. Career. I thought it. I, and think I, was, it's I told Dave it's such a great scene because once once they when Bartleby finds out that he's talking to the scion, he immediately becomes murderous yes. and is trying yes. and is instigating all of the intent to kill. And Loki's like, "Wait, can't we talk about this? What's yes. going on?" <laughs> That, the former angel of God's wrath. <laughs> I, I was th- I was talking to David about this earlier. It's like we don't know that it's going to be Bartleby as the bad angel. We, we're set that's up where, to think that's it's where Loki. the turn starts. Yes, yeah. we think you, Loki you, the yeah, you come to realize Loki. He was he was the God's angel of yep. death, but that was his job, not necessarily his demeanor. Exactly. And you see Bartleby just becoming more and more bitter. And bitter. He doesn't want to be the watcher anymore. Yeah. He wants to do it. So speaking of Bartleby and Loki, yes. that transitions us into our next topic, which is they're basically Dante and Randall 4.0. Kind of? If, if T.S. and um, uh, Brody. Brody were Dante and Randall 2.0, <laughs> and then Banky and Holden were Dante and Randall 3.0, my God, Kevin Smith fucking loves his bromances. Yeah. There so are, this one ends badly. It does. It does. And I would say it's probably the natural conclusion probably. to all of and the previous And it's iterations. executed so much more. But there are... there are Because com- it's Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Yes, that is, I will agree with that. Oh, man, yeah. But um, there are conversations that Bartleby and Loki have, especially more towards the first half of the movie, yep. that you could have taken any of those lines of dialogue and given them to Dante and Randall oh, and sure. it still would have fit. The, the, the whole opening sequence with Loki um, convincing the nun yeah, about, that's, that is, that's totally Randall. That is totally Randall and <laughs> it is, it is. Uh, Bartleby's response to it is spot on Dante. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is. It's like those are the two voices in, in Smith's head constantly just But quip, again, he finally found the actors oh, yeah. that does it, that 
perfectly does it, you mm-hmm. know, um, uh, does that bromance, you know, until we get to Clerks 2 and they've they've totally they find perfected it, yeah. the group and, and then we get the real bo- guys. But uh, but the idea that um, Bartleby, Bartleby and Loki are the Randall Dante 4, 4.0 is like it's. <laughs> And They're it's, the Dante it starts and Randall out of the great, Holy Host. Of the Holy Host. It's <laughs> the the first line, the first moment we get Matt Damon doing that with the nun all the way through. And then we get the shift. And, you know, so we get Dante becoming the bad guy and, and matching his name, you know. And it's like, I'm going to take you out. You know, so. I, I really started thinking about it harder. And you're right. You're so right. Bartleby's first line is a Dante line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, man, I don't get you. You know for a fact that there's a God. and You, st- you have yeah. met him. Yeah. Yeah. And see, I can definitely believe that if we didn't have a Clerks 2 to show us, Dante would 100% go off the deep end and become a serial yep. killer. Oh, sure. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, but again, I, I think the usage of Matt Damon and Ben Affleck did I say Ben Affleck? Ben Affleck. Are just, just roll with it. None of us can talk to <laughs> Matt are, Damon. Matt Damon are just lovely in this movie. I think, um, and and like like you're saying, how yeah. they're going from Goodwill and you know mm-hmm. doing the transfer over, it's it's like almost seamless. It's like they're totally enjoying themselves in this low budget, you know, nothing of a movie that took nothing to do, and. Um, and and they're totally enjoying, and they're also speaking about their own faith, and how their own faith has affected their lives and stuff. So it's like, and 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 they're totally relishing. And Ben Affleck, I think this is one of Ben Affleck's best roles. And uh, um, it's certainly better if you look at that time frame of Ben Affleck's career. It is one of the high points. Yeah, you know, you can you could just hit end. I need to let it get the message. Right. You well, can no, hit, you hit end and it'll still go well, to voicemail. No, no. If you hit the side button, it'll automatically send it to voice side button, right side. No, I mean on the side of the phone. On the side of the phone. No. Okay. Do I take this down or do I leave it in? Oh, shit. Take it out or leave it in? <laughs> I just, that's my cousin. He's telling me something. Look. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to leave it in because it old in. man Stan. <laughs> All right, so we're going to move on. That's why I can relate to Kevin Smith. Let's just Uh gloss right the fuck over that. All right. So I started started to write down the time code, but what's the point? That's funny. Um, So our next Kevin Smith moment. Our next topic of discussion. uh, Linda Fiorentino. What movie did she think she was in? Because she clearly is not in the same movie as everyone. I think she was acting in the movie she wanted to be in and not the one she was in. Right, exactly. She was in a completely different movie than everyone else in this cast. I think she was still in the movie that she had just done to get her cast in this movie. And I I want, oh God, uh, Red. Are you having a stroke? (laughs) Uh, uh, (laughs) What the fuck? I'm not trained to handle this. I got a wallet, so I put it in my mouth. Your um, eyes just went cross-eyed. <laughs> um, um, I want to say gas food lodging, but that's Allison Anders. It's not, um, but there's like a... Um, uh, uh, but she had just... Body count. Oh, right. She was in Men in Black. Fuck. Um, but yeah, she, she, oh, she, she was, was like a queen of... examiner. She was a queen of indie films for a long time. Right. With Gina Gershon and those folks. Well, it, I... To me, what really brought this home to me that like, holy shit, what is what is she doing in this movie? 
Um, it's when she's talking to Metatron in their first scene together at mm-hmm. the restaurant. And every one of her lines, she's like so quiet and dour and like so film acting class example of don't emote. And meanwhile, Alan Rickman <laughs> is having the fucking time of his yes. life delivering these insane lines in that between he's spitting tequila into glasses. Yes. Yeah, because I can't get drunk. It, it's so it was so weird watching them interact. She wasn't, she wasn't even looking around and marveling at the fact that suddenly she was in a Mexican restaurant. Right. Or that she's sitting there Pantles. in her underwear. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Throughout the whole movie, I was just thinking to myself, did did she film an entirely different movie? You know, there's the story of how um, Stanley Kubrick got the kid who played Danny Lloyd. He got got the reactions out of him by making that kid think that he was in a comedy. Uh, I, I feel like Kevin Smith gave Linda Fiorentino completely different direction or she was just in a completely different movie and well, he just spliced it all together. Well, that and, and Kubrick, uh, who's the guy who played General Kong in uh, Strangelove? I forget his name. He's a fairly well-known actor. But uh, Sterling? Hayden? No. no. Um, it's the general that rides the A-bomb at the end. Right. Oh, uh, Slim, uh, Slim, Slim Pickens. Slim Pickens. Yeah. Um, he, apparently, Slim Pickens did not like the idea of playing it crazy, but they, but Kubrick was like, eh, just, these are going to be outtakes. Just go a little wild and get that out of your system. And then he took all the outtakes and made that the actual <laughs> footage. And at the end, he, he was like, okay, that's pretty funny. <laughs> right. It, it, this... Yeah, this would be the opposite if Kevin mm-hmm. Smith were like, all right, I want you to play every single one of your lines as seriously as humanly possible. You are a humorless robot in an absurd situation. Yeah, it, it, that that does. Because, yeah, her lack of reaction in that scene is a little jarring. Maybe she, I, see, I don't know, maybe she thinks she's still dreaming at this point. But then again, she was also, she also hit him with a fire extinguisher right. and had established he's a real thing. I don't know. If. I, I I agree that I th- I think at the especially at the beginning, but I think she may have taken it a little long to get to the point where she would. Um, but at least at the beginning, I think she her resignation of disbelief is what she's going to play and what she's going to do for the for the at least the first half of the film, and that's understandable. You know, it's like none of this is happening, none of this is real. Yeah, the- I, I I I still feel I'm on the road, but. I'm not really on the road. This is a dream. The only thing I can I can at least for the the scene with Alan Rickman in the Mexican restaurant is once he teleports them to the restaurant, I'm sure I'm sure on some level I'll be like, oh okay, this is a dream. And then it's like, so there's no need to freak out. Well, she even she completely no sells one putting him out with a fire extinguisher and <laughs> yeah. him being perfectly fine, and then pulling his pants down and seeing that he Nothing. has no penis. He's a Ken doll. Yeah. Yeah. Which, she, she has no reaction to that either. So why would she have a reaction to being teleported to a Mexican restaurant yeah, so, in her underwear? I'm just saying, if every time Bethany had a line in Dogma, if there was scrolling text across the bottom that said submitted for your consideration, <laughs> I would not have been surprised. She was going for Oscar. Well, there's a diff. Yeah. And it's like there's a but there's a difference between playing it straight and doing what she did, which will, yeah, which you have a point. Is like above and beyond playing it straight, right? Um, which is which is a shame. I I thought you'd I thought she'd enjoy having a scene it, with Alan Rickman a little more. It, it it did set up, you know, because the first time she actually responds to anything is like when you started talking about Jay 
crashing her car. You know, it's like, yeah. And, and her things like, no, I'm not doing this. Well, that's I'm real leaving. to her because that's the only way she's getting to work. Exactly. <laughs> and, and then, and then Rufus falls from the sky and she does have a strong reaction to that. Cause he almost hits her and it literally came out of the sky. And, uh, uh, and he's naked and he's a naked black man. And he's a, he's actually a naked black man. He's not an angel. So he, you know, she's seen parts that she, wasn't expecting I, to see. I think and, uh, I think that's a good point. That's the first fantastical thing that doesn't seem so fantastical that she doesn't think she's dreaming exactly. or out of her mind. It's exactly. just like, and and then from that point on, she gets more. It, it she loosens up, um, uh, and then she you know she starts reacting to Jay's come ons and stuff like that, and you know it's like okay, I, I here's the deal. You know, so she starts setting up and planning stuff and, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to try to take control. And then we get to meet the ship monster and she's like, well, maybe I'm not in control. And at least, but I met serendipity and she's pretty cool. So as it goes on, she then becomes more and more and more responsive and realizing that this is, is really happening. Um, but she never gets to the point where she is totally in the same same uh, mind frame as the rest of the right. characters yeah. in the movie, but that's Linda Florentino. If you think mo- most of her films that she's in, and she hasn't been around for a while, but um, pre- that's pretty much her in everything. Well, that she's it, it in. might also I I brought this up before we started rolling, but I might also do the fact that she did not like making that movie. She did not like making that movie. Yes. Yeah. All right. So kind of like uh um uh oh my god uh. Burt Reynolds and Boogie Nights. That was kind of her, you know. Oh, did did Burt Reynolds not enjoy he being? He hated being, and uh, that's why um, he never went back to uh, P.T. Anderson. Really? Yeah. It makes me want to go back and rewatch Men in Black now to, because I, I can't really remember her character a whole lot. Was she? <laughs> That did she employ that same acting style in Men in Black? Was she she that flat? No, not well. She was kind of. I wouldn't say flat, but she was. I mean, her character was kind. I I think she. I think she was a little more into Men in Black because she's she comes she seems she had more fun at least. I would think because she's very much like okay, you're pulling my leg until she sees the the first hand proof of aliens, and then it's a. She's more emotive in that movie, I think. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to go back and rewatch Men in Black. All right, so to round out our discussion, this is not a subtle movie by no, any stretch whatsoever. Before you jump into that, can I just say that their examples of, I guess, biblical misogyny are a little shallow. Like the the like they point out Eve as the one who commits the the sin of biting the apple, but like in that scene, like Adam's there. Like, if you go back and reread that part of the Bible, because what she does is she eats of the apple and hands it straight to Adam. Mm-hmm. And it's like they're they're both blamed. It, I think that the problem there is that for some reason Eve takes the heat, heat for biting first. Uh, Are you saying that Kevin Smith mishandles gender politics? Because that doesn't seem like him at all. What were the other examples? Um, oh, um, the... The story of a, a woman wanting punk, uh, John the Baptist's head on a platter. Well, yeah, because that woman was the daughter of King Herod, and King Herod hated John the Baptist, so she probably wanted to please her dad. <laughs> well, but but I mean, isn't what he's saying that? No, she that that, it's, it's that women. Um, 
She's saying that, that women Kevin get a bad Smith, rap in the that, battle. That's what rap. I'm saying, is that Kevin Smith was saying how Then explain how bad the book of Ruth. That, that, that both, that both uh, people of color, you know, and, and the handling, like the King, John, uh, the King James version of the handling of the Bible, turning everybody white and, and then turning everything at, into the woman's fault. Sure. It, that's, that's what he's saying. That's wrong, that, but that's that, not... That's, that it's wrong for the Bible to be doing that, Right. It's not the Bible or doing the, it. That, it's the people the who were in charge of interpreting it. Right. Yeah, it is because Jesus wasn't white. And there are plenty of badass women in the Bible. There's the book of Ruth right. just yeah. by itself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I get what he's saying, but he kind of went with, I don't know, like probably the, the worst straw man examples. Uh, tangentially related in terms of gender politics. I got a lot more <laughs>, laughs out of this movie than I did out of the three previous ones. Okay. Um, my favorite probably being the most on the nose J joke of all when he's talking to uh, Bethany, when they first meet in the parking lot, she's like, you're not here to protest. Are you? He's like, fuck no. I believe in a woman's right to choose, which is like, yeah, right on Jay. Yeah. Then what are you doing here? I came to pick up bitches. They're at an abortion clinic. You know, they're good to go. I was like, oh. They're down to fuck. <laughs> That is that is yeah, but that's the that's the perfect summation of Jay as a character. It really is. Yeah. All right. So speaking of on the nose jokes and the lack of subtlety in this movie, I need you guys to pick what what's the most on the nose of these three things: literal potty humor in in the form of the shit monster or the shit demon, the literal golden calf because there's a literal golden calf movie <laughs> movie. But remember what happens on that. Or is it the announcement that's made in the church at the beginning (laughs) about the church's pro-life baseball team versus the pro-choice baseball team? What's the most on the nose of those three jokes? It's the golden calf for me because it's essentially... What if Mickey Mouse was created in the in the height or at the in the eighties in the like the me decade of the eighties? The where's the beef? Yeah, <laughs> like in in the one of the greediest decades possible at the height of baby boomers. It's um, movie the golden calf. It's like oh, that is definitely the most on the nose. And I mean, it totally sets up the whole you know uh, justification for Loki. You know because. I'm killing the idolaters. Right. It so. is. Yeah, it's it's literally you are idolaters. There is a specific example in the Bible of not doing this. <laughs> you, you, the, the woman, he's, you don't have to die because you're totally innocent of this. Mm-hmm. But the rest of you fuckers. And then he gives them even more justification of why he can. Right. Die. You know, so, so, yes, it's an obvious joke and on the nose, but it is pretty, it is pretty spectacular if you think about it. I'm tempted to say uh, it's the baseball game, pro-life versus pro-choice, but I'm actually going to go with the literal potty humor. That one's probably the most subtle on the nose joke, because that that one would be easy to miss. The potty humor? No, 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 the uh, the pro-life, pro-choice one. Because it's so early, I I did miss that. Yeah. It's so yeah, it is one of the announcements made in the church that uh, Bethany goes to. I, I would say one of my favorite subtle jokes that I, I did not notice uh, uh, at first was um, the banner Catholicism Wow. 
in front of the church after the devastation now reads uh, Catholicism owl. Ow. Yeah, the W falls down. <laughs> yeah, like half the banner is gone, but the but the only one that's completely gone is that first W. Yeah, and I, I saw that. Like, oh, I never noticed that before. <clears throat> I never had either, and I didn't actually catch that myself. I saw it on TV tropes when I was reading about it afterwards. I'm sure that after three movies of reading reviews of highbrow critics accusing. Um, Kevin Smith of abusing potty humor. He was like, you know what? You want some fucking <laughs> right. potty humor? <laughs> right. Here you go, motherfuckers. Here's the gold Gotham. <laughs> born, born of of what happens when everyone who was ever crucified on Golgotha voided themselves on death. Yeah. I thought you were going to quote the line there. Oh, shit into existence? Yeah, not born shit into existence. Yeah. Uh and then if we got a fucking Macbeth reference in a Kevin Smith movie when he says no man of woman born. Yep. And actually, apparently, <clears throat> I, 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 the name of the creature is no man, no man, the Golgothan. Oh, <laughs> subtle. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, Stan, do you have any final thoughts to wrap up our discussion about dogma? Um, I can th- I can definitely say this. Uh, this movie made me appreciate Alanis Morissette. Um, to have to cast and he doesn't have her sing he doesn't ha- he didn't even have her speak but she is the because she can't speak because she's god and if we heard her speak we would explode um and she almost kills bethany because of that um uh but casting alanis morissette as god the first time it happened the first time i saw it i was like why is alanis morissette god it's like but then as I've watched it since then, since the first time, um, she's perfectly cast in that. And, You've come to appreciate her. I've come to appreciate her. Isn't that ironic? Isn't that ironic? A little Tickle. too ironic. <laughs> um, I really so, yes. think. Well, uh, you ought to and know. She, and, <laughs> and she has a little, she has a boot moment even. Yes. And which I think is completely way adorable for a Kevin Smith film. It is. It is. And, and it totally fits that moment. And, and it totally works for that moment. So I don't know who directed that moment or if she just did it to do it. I'm really glad he left it in because it takes us out of the typical Kevin Smith moment. And, and I think Alanis Morissette as a whole takes us out of the general Kevin Smith. This is a Kevin Smith movie. Um, idea she she improves the view askew universe you know and that is high praise i'm I'm really i'm really gratified with her in that movie i think it's worth pointing out that at one one point in the end uh, she literally stops to smell the roses she Mm -hmm. stops to smell the roses yes after doing a handstand (laughs) uh chris did you have any final thoughts about dogma i did i think for everything we talked about especially the high concept low brow um it also had a very strong emotional center Mm-hmm. For a movie, Absolutely. and like I said before, it's like it, this feels like Smith's interpretation of what it feels like to be charged on a quest by God. And there's some very powerful emotional moments to me, uh, specifically when Metatron comforts Bethany. Yes, about everything. Yeah, um, and at the end, um, when when uh, Loki is drunk and regretful. Oh my God! Yes, and, and then at, and then further in when Bartleby apologizes and. For God, to oh, God. Um, yeah, wow. I th- I thought it was a very powerful moment, and then you know just the so the end. Yeah, that felt very real. Mm. And then she kills him. She smites him. She, well, she doesn't smite him. She she essentially 
relieves him of his burden by by a yeah. you know she by does, smiting him. She does yes. smite him, but it's it's a mercy smite. Yes, yes. It's a, it's it's essentially she's being merciful by killing him. And and he basically thanks her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And it, and. It, well, I because forgot, I forgot, at that yeah, point, he doesn't he have. He does his, it so well that uh, Ben Affleck does it. And at, does a scene. At that point, Bartleby doesn't have his wings anymore, he so he's his thinking wings. like a human. He's, yes. Yeah, he has a conscience. He's yeah, like as implied earlier. It's like once he's there, they've transubstantiated. They have a conscience like yeah. a human. Um, speaking of wings, it takes everyone a really long time to notice that uh, Loki's wings have been cut off. True. He is standing there with two stumps, bloody stumps, jutting out of his back. Holding a a bottle, and he's obviously drunk now. (laughs) It takes them several minutes to notice those stumps, and then for serendipity to notice the severed wings on the ground. That would have been my first question had I come upon the scene, being like, "What, what the fuck is going on with your back? Are those, were those wings? No, nobody says anything about it for several minutes. But yeah, I think uh, those points, especially, but there's also smaller points like um, it, it doesn't last long. But when Rufus talks to Bethany at that the play at the movies playground and stuff like that, there are all these very actual, real moments. I think Chris Rock is brilliant. He's brilliant. Really I think good. he's amazing. He's very good. Um, he he's he reminds me of oh my gosh, I can't remember his name, but in in Mallrats. Um, are you talking about chasing Amy? Hooper, Hooper X. X. Hooper X. Chasing Amy. Yes, sorry. Um, Hooper X. Uh, I think him and uh, 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 Rufus are kind of soulmates in in, in this sense, and and I like and I I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. I think he's great. That's the that's the thing about this movie. I I it's like it is a you, Dave. You make a good point. It's a it's an odd mishmash of people, <laughs> an odd mm-hmm. ensemble. But I don't feel like anyone's miscast. All right. It's a good ensemble. Yeah. All right. There you go again. <laughs> Well, Save it for J.M. Silent Bob Strike Back. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's going to be next week, guys. Yeah. So, uh, anytime, next week. Yeah, oh, really? next week's the last week of April. So uh, anytime, you know, if you want to watch J.M. Silent Bob Strike Back this weekend. Um, Yay! That's, this is the point at which it's going to... Well, no, I can't even say that because it's going to keep getting weird going back and watching these movies again. Jesus, I really haven't watched Jay and Silent Bob literally since 2001. This one this one might be the one that that's that hits me the weirdest because this will be the one I saw senior year of high school. So it's going to be like in that height of the nostalgia bubble. Right. The and the height I, of enjoying potty humor. Right. I mean, I know it's not going to be great. But. Again, I, I, I just saw it recently because I saw it right before I saw Reboot. So right. I, I rewatched it again, and I said, like, "I'm gonna enjoy reboot, even though nobody else did." And it's like, "I'm gonna enjoy reboot, but just because I love being in that world." So, reboot was a like frustrating it. experience for me, but we'll get there <laughs> in June. Well, in Strike Back and Reboot are well one because they're they're tied so hard together. It's just like, but if it's like if you're all about View Askew Universe, I get the feeling it's like this is just where you're gonna you're gonna love these movies because it's the it's just the pander v- movies. Yeah. All right. Well, Stan, you are social media distancing. You don't want people to talk to you. Oh, you look confused. Do you do you want people to reach out to you online? Uh, I'm I'm yeah. on Facebook. I just don't do. You the, want them to reach I don't out? Do and the Snapchatters and the Twitterholic and stuff like that. So. <laughs> Oh, we're going to gloss over that and move on. Uh, Chris, if people want to reach out to you online, where can they do that at? They can reach me on Twitter at Immortal2Dogs. That's, oh, is uh, that the, a new That's handle? the number two and uh, D-O-G-G-Z. 
that's new. It's going to be new for someone. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure dogs will really appreciate that one. <laughs> See, I can't, but I have to do it here because I can't do it when he's on the podcast with me. That's a good point. All right. And if you want to reach out to me online or if you want to follow me online, the best place to do that at is going to be Instagram at DB Hensley. If you want to keep up with Long Walk Productions, you can do that by visiting our website, longwalk.us, or by liking us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash longwalkpro. You can also keep up with Long Walk Podcasts on Facebook um, by searching for Long Walk Podcasts. And if you want to listen to older episodes of the show or keep up with more long walk productions original content you can follow the youtube links in the show notes and as always if you enjoy this show or any of the shows on the long walk podcast network please make sure to leave us a rating and a review on whatever platform you are listening on peace out